0: Disney's Magic Kingdom Disneyland is growing every day. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland,
1: the happiest place on Earth. It's time to throw down, y'all. Have you thought about a visit to Disneyland during your vacation? You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Disneyland is the happiest place on Earth. Join the happy people of all ages. Yes, there's more fun at Disneyland. In Anaheim, the happiest
0: my country. on earth. Hey everyone, welcome to Bob's and Banthas, a podcast about Disneyland, Star Wars, and all the other things the Disney Company owns that we love. Well, it has been a year of bringing Bob's and Banthas to you, and we are so happy to celebrate our one-year anniversary with getting the opportunity to sit down and speak with Brian Crosby. Brian is the creative director of themed entertainment at Marvel. We get a chance to sit down with Brian to talk about his beginning in art and growing up in Orange County his eventual move to Walt Disney Imagineering, and his transition into Marvel Entertainment. We also get to hear from him about his experience working on attractions, such as the Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage, the Iron Man Experience in Hong Kong Disneyland, and Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. It's a great interview, and we can't wait for you to listen. From Aaron and I both, thank you so much for listening with us over the past year. We can't wait to do more shows with you, and we hope you enjoy our time with Ryan. Well, friends, we are very, very thankful to be able to have with us on our one year anniversary celebration, our special guest. He is creative director of themed entertainment at Marvel. Brian Crosby, uh, he's joining us on the show tonight to talk all about his experience, both working for the spider, but also working for the mouse, because Brian, you were an Imagineer before you came over to Marvel. Uh, and we are thankful to talk with you all about your experience. Thanks so much for joining us on Bob's and Banthas.
2: Ah, it's my pleasure, guys. Well, I, I'm honored to be here on the uh, the anniversary show. that's, yeah, that's right. Cool.
1: One year of uh, Disneyland and Star Wars content, and now Marvel Marvel content. That's right. We,
0: this is our, our last installment of Marvel in March, where every single uh, week we were talking about something to do with Marvel. Uh, you are definitely ending us on a crescendo for this month, and we are so thankful that you joined
2: us. Well, I, I will I will do my best to not screw it up and 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 ruin the the good vibes that you guys have going on. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just happy, I'm happy to be here and 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 chat with you guys there's always plenty to talk about in the marvel universe so uh yeah man and i love talking disney and star wars too so you guys cover all the cool stuff
0: we we try to cover all the cool stuff and i think we're going to be talking about all that cool stuff with you tonight uh let's let's start from the very beginning i figure that's always a very very good place to start uh why don't you tell (laughs) us about where where you grew up uh and and how you got your start in uh in being an artist and being a creator
2: yeah sure well i mean I grew up uh, in Orange County, you know, about uh, 20 minutes from Disneyland. So, uh, you know, kind of being in the shadow of of uh, Sleeping Beauty's Castle, you know, is is just part of my childhood. Yeah, um, I loved going to Disneyland. Um, I, you know, we'd go there every year as a family. It was it was kind of like Christmas Eve the night before. Uh, my parents would uh, take us out of school the next day, and we'd spend the whole day at Disneyland. We didn't have annual passes or anything like that, but we got to spend the uh, the full day there. And I was just always so excited to go to the park and I remember I had this uh this book of the Pirates of the Caribbean and inside that book you open up the front cover and it had a fun map of the attraction yeah and I used to trick my finger through the uh the attraction Pirates of the Caribbean just imagining the things I was gonna I was gonna see and do and we'd play the Disneyland records it was just it was just I, I was always so excited to go to the park um and so, you know, I, like I said, I grew up doing that, grew up loving uh, baseball, big angel fan, and, and grew up loving comic books. And so those were kind of my, my big three influences as a kid. Um, but it was, uh, it was comics that really kind of turned me on to the idea of becoming an artist okay. uh, profession. And the reason was is, you know, when you'd watch a, a film or a TV show, you know, the credits were always at the end. Um, and so when we get to that part, you know, we change the channel or walk out of the theater. Now, Marvel Studios has trained us to not do that. That's right. To yeah. all the credits. Um, But uh, but comics always had the credits at the beginning. So when I discovered comics, when I was 10 years old. Got my first comic uh, issue of Detective Comics. Um, sorry, it was a Batman book, but I opened it up. And, and there was the name Todd McFarlane. And this was a guy who got to draw superheroes for a living. Yeah. And suddenly the light went off that that's a thing that I could do, that there are people that do that. Um, and that was really the beginning of, of wanting to do that for a living. But I always loved, you know, pop culture. And, you know, I grew up in the era of Back to the Future and Goonies and E.T. And so yeah. those things were Star Wars, of course. All that stuff was a part of my my childhood. Do you remember
1: how you become aware of comics? Is there a comic book store in your town, or is it if your friends get into it?
2: No, no. I I still have the book. Um, So I I was home sick one day from school. Uh, I was 10 years old, 1987, and my mom was going to run down to the local 7-Eleven uh, to, I don't know. Get whatever, and I had to go with her even though I wasn't feeling well. Yeah, and I'm in Seven Eleven, and I see this spinner rack. Yeah, right. I didn't. Know what spinner rack was at the <laughs> right, time. Yeah, it's I funny.
0: It, it was- it's funny you mentioned spinner rack because in our conversation about our uh our comic birth, uh they both involve yeah. spinner racks as well. So yeah, like like right go- now
1: it's all it's all boards and books, and you walk in and it's kind of overwhelming. But you know, when I when I was that age too, getting into comics, it was very much like oh, it's a spinner rack full of. Mm-hmm. Looks like greeting cards. Oh no, those aren't greeting cards. Oh, those comic are comic books. Those are comic books. Yeah.
2: Well, because I, I mean, I loved superheroes. and I loved the the Batman '66 show. I loved Super Friends. I loved Spider Man and his amazing friends. The yeah. so superheroes were in my in my sphere. Like I was yeah. into that stuff already. Um, and so when I when I walked into the Seven Eleven and saw that spinner rack, suddenly these these images of all my favorite heroes, but these were these were books yeah. of yeah. you know their adventures and. I remember asking like what these were and they're like, Oh, they come out every month. There's a bunch of new ones and Spider-Man and Hulk and, you know, Batman and Superman and whoever. And so I was immediately into it. And I was, so I bought that one book. Which one was it? Do you remember? Yeah. Detective Comics number 577. So that was my first book still have it. And, uh, and, uh, and so I I just, I kind of fell in love with it. Like I said, and that's when I realized what I could do and what people could do. And so I was just, obsessed, obsessed with making my art look like that and, you know, watching cartoons and trying to make my art look like what I was seeing in the cartoons. Uh, I'd go to the swap meets on the weekend. Then, uh, you know, after that day and, you know, load up, I find comic books and mad magazine, uh, in the swap meets. And so these were, you know, I was just, I was, I became a voracious, uh, yeah. comic reader. Well, um, and it, you still am to this day.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned uh, that your, you know, your first introduction to comics was Todd McFarlane, obviously, uh, yeah. b- arguably one of the most, if not the most successful comic book artists uh, of our time. Uh, and, and McFarlane was definitely had a huge influence on me. Uh, and, and also, you know, some of my first books that I was reading were, uh, were were the amazing Spider-Man that was uh, when McFarlane was drawing them uh, during the 298 to the early 300s run uh and then you know he launched off into the the book spider-man and uh and i remember i am not an artist but i always wanted to be an artist and i remember just constantly tracing mcfarland's art and just the 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 dynamics that he gave spider-man the huge eyes and the contorted positions and the like the unique uh, musculature and skeletal and skeletal structure that he gave peter parker in action and even the webbing the way he drew webbing was just like it was something that i had never seen before and it really just leapt off the page and so it's interesting to hear someone who is a professional artist who also was inspired by that style
2: yeah. No, I mean, I think anybody that kind of discovered comics in that era was probably influenced somewhat by, by Todd, by Rob Liefeld, by yeah. Jim Lee, you know, yeah. by Alan Sylvester, you know, that these are the guys that were, that were kind of the big names, essentially the ones that became in comics right. at one point. Right. Um, and so, yeah, no, and, you know, Todd, uh, I had never, I never had the opportunity though to tell him that story until just last year. Oh, is that so, right? Um, yes. And so, uh, we uh we we put together you know one of my one of my roles at, at marvel is overseeing kind of live events and themed events and things like that and i helped put together the uh, the celebration of stan lee's uh life and you know, that we did in, in new york city and uh, we invited todd to be to be one of the speakers um and we were at the after party and you know i i, I told one of my buddies who knew todd i said look I told him the story I just told you guys yeah. about, about Todd and how you know he's the one that kind of lit the lit the spark for me. And uh, I said I, I'd love to just get five minutes with him and 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 just tell him that story if I could. And sure enough, I you know I was able to chat a little bit with Todd and and tell him that story, and it was it was pretty cool. He he had some sage advice for my my son who was with me at the time. Oh, is that right? About uh, not listening to your parents and <laughs> just kind of being you and being a rebel. And I was like. Not sure. I'm so grateful. Thanks for that. a lot, Todd. <laughs> yeah. hey,
0: thanks for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <advice there>,
2: <laughs> but that's okay. He was a good dude. He's a good dude.
1: Cur- what, so when you got your your first comic book, and I think this is all of our all of our story. So I'm curious your take on it. We we all get comic books. We all look at those things and we think, oh, I want to be an artist. Not all of us say, oh, I want to be a writer or I want to be a storyteller.
2: I and mean, it's a good question. I mean, it's probably a question for a writer. I mean, I <laughs> I, 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 I I don't I don't know. Um, for me, it was always the art was what drew me to the medium. Um, and it was the fact that I could, I was filling in the blanks of what was happening in the action, you know, in in the gutters, I, in my head. Um, and so being able to tell a linear story in that way, uh, just captivated me. So it's, it's tough for me to speak from the writer's perspective. Um, and why, you know, maybe, you know, why maybe people didn't leap at that opportunity, but obviously there's a lot of amazing writers, uh, working in comics today. So, those writers were inspiring, you know, a lot, of, a whole generation as well. Uh, but for me, um, you know, I love to draw, you know, drawing was, was kind of, I can't remember a time when I wasn't drawing. Yeah. Um, but I had, I had great encouragement from, from my family and friends, you know, telling me that, you know, I was kind of good at it and, and that I, you know, I could do it and, you know, and my mom and my, my dad were very supportive of, of, you know, trying to help me along and, and get better and better and better. And, um, and I remember once I got into, uh, you know, once I got into junior high school and I discovered the X-Men, uh, that set off a whole nother, a whole nother uh, fervor for, sure. for comics and comic book artwork. Uh, you know, Will Sportacio on, on Uncanny X-Men is what I was reading at the time. And a buddy of mine in junior high, you know, we'd go back, to, we'd go to the comic shop, ride our bikes over there, sometimes in the rain. You know, we'd have our, our, our comic books stuffed into our shirt so they wouldn't get wet. And we go back to his house and just read comics and draw, draw comics. And yeah. um, I remember, you know, my whole life, you know, my my mom and dad told me that I was pretty good, and teachers told me I was I, was, I could I was pretty good. And and I remember him telling me that all the characters I drew were too stubby, like all their <laughs> legs were like little squatty legs. Yeah. And it like drove me crazy. This is like was your ten like, year old oh. friend at the time. <laughs> he's he's yeah, the art well, critic. we like 12, 13, and he's like, nah, you know, he's like. Your legs are too stubby. Yeah, proportions drop. are way off, man. I don't know. Yeah. So, but like my, my, my lone goal was like, yeah, mom, I'm glad you like it, but I really want Chris to think my stuff is <laughs> right. Good. Yeah. And, uh, and so then my goal was to have Chris like it <laughs> and, and, and then it was just, you know, it was one editor after another, yeah. uh, then that I was trying to prove that I could, that I could hang. Did Chris ever like it? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Don't <laughs> he's I, a good friend Then he's always pushing you. I was yeah, gonna say, he, he did put, yeah, we kind of lost touch. But, oh uh, man, that's that's the story. Hopefully somewhere, yeah. Hopefully somewhere he's he's found my artwork and and he's you know maybe he still thinks my characters are too stubby. I don't know. <laughs> so
1: real real quick question, just for me. Some of these questions are just selfish because we we just want to know the answers to them for ourselves. But we, I think initially you start drawing just wanting to draw well, wanting to be able to draw the characters well. For you, did you? Yeah. When did you move to trying to figure out the sequential storytelling part of it, where it's it's multiple drawings, or did it always just kind of stay in that? Just I want to be able to draw one panel really well versus I want to be able to tell a story with this, which means I got to draw differently or show different stuff.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think that kind of hit me in high school when I started trying to you know craft my own stories. Usually, it was stupid stuff me and my friends were doing, and you know trying to turn turn that into comic books, and because everybody everybody wanted me to draw them as a superhero or something like that. And so, uh, me and my buddies, I, kind of drew us as superheroes and some of our crazy adventures and things that we wanted to do. So that, I think that was when I really started to try putting it together. And it wasn't just a bunch of, or a bunch of characters, but like drawing environments and, you know, page layouts and thinking about that. Um, and then, you know, once I, uh, uh, in 1999, I got my first job working professionally in comics. Um, and with it, with a very small press company uh, called David World Press, and they were a uh, uh, they were an the internet they were doing digital comics before there were digital comics right. really. So it was like the early days of like the dot coms and things like that. Um, so it didn't last very long um, because they had to charge for them online, and people were still kind of you know wishy washy. Yeah, up, I'm going to yeah. pay
0: for something that yeah. I can't hold, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember. I remember yeah, that transition. Good. They'll be like, "Well, we'll make a move a little bit," and then we're like, oh, "Don't make a move. It's, it's weird right now." And now, yeah, you know, it, was
2: a, it was a weird time. But then, you know, yeah. I, was, I was really told that this was the future of comics. Yeah. Hey, I didn't. It was a. It was a professional job. My yeah. first pro job, and I, I drew a book called uh, Barbie Spawn, which is uh, kind of brings me back to Todd McFarlane. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, yeah. It was. It was exactly what it sounds like. It was a hybrid of. <laughs> I mean, it sounds Barbie amazing. Barbie, like, all. And spawn like the guy from hell. So yeah. it was, it was a combo platter of those two characters. Um, it was, a, it was a spoof, but the idea was that GI Joe fought in the war, and he was like kind of an assassin or whatever. This this guy, he gets killed in the war, goes to hell, makes a deal with the devil, but when he comes back, he comes back as Barbie. Wow! Um, and, <laughs> Great concept. And so it was like this female um, spawn. Again, that, uh, that's
0: a story you need to tell Todd McFarlane.
2: <laughs> I was not about to tell Todd McFarlane. <laughs> If he's listening, I'm sorry, Todd. It was not yeah. my story. I just took a picture.
1: <laughs> so, let, so let me get this straight. You. you. You you got a comic book from from a 7-Eleven. You loved the comic book, wanted to create the comic book uh, or a comic book, learned, learned to draw, uh, and then got, got an opportunity to do that professionally. Is there any formal training in, in this process or is this self-taught uh, mostly? Well, and the,
0: and another question to add on to that was, did you come from a creative family? Are, were your parents artists or was this just a talent that they saw in you that they helped cultivate?
2: So the, the answer to the first question, you know, in terms of formal training, not really a, a, as a kid. Um, I mean, I did, uh, art classes and stuff like everybody else, but I just kind of took to it. Um, my, my fifth grade teacher, he was Mr. Moulton, uh, awesome dude. Uh, he really, um, kind of pushed me along and really saw that I, I had some, some skill in, in art and, and loved to draw. Um, he got me into a program, at, you know, when I was in elementary school, it's called gate, uh, gate art. And, um, and I hated it because they were always telling me what I had to draw. Yeah. Like yeah. you'd have to draw a parrot and like 30 people in the class would all be drawing parrots. And I'm like, I, I hate this. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to, Yeah. So I, I just kind of stick stuck to the, my own art classes. In fact, when I got to high school, um, you know, I, I really, you know, I had great relationship with my art teachers and they let me form my own class. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, and it was just called art projects. And she let me make it up. She's like, as long as you're working on something, I'm good. Right. So I'd, I'd sit in there for, you know, an hour and a half every day and just work on comics and work on, you know, stuff that I wanted to draw. Um, so no, no real formal training until I got into, into college and right. you know, I studied illustration at uh, Cal State Fullerton, uh, here in California and got my degree, um, in, in illustration my mom certainly has kind of the creative gene. She used to do things like tall painting and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, not, not, she, she loves the, the arts. Like she loves film and she loves art and painting and, and all those things. She, my dad, not at all. Like that's not his thing. Um, sports. It's all sports with my dad. Uh, he was a professional. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he was, he was a professional baseball player in the, in the seventies. Wow. Um, so, so baseball was really kind of the other side of, of me. So I had this creative side and then baseball was big. Yeah. Uh, and, my, and so my dad played in the majors, um, in the, in the seventies, uh, my, my brother, Bobby played with the Oakland A's, um, in the early two thousands. And then my brother, Blake is, um, he's a scout now, um, with the Toronto blue Jays. Uh, so Bobby's actually a manager of the double a, uh, Midland rock Hounds. So baseball is like a big, a big ball- baseball family. Of- we're a huge baseball fans. So, You're like the black so I, sheep of the family
1: then. Yeah. I mean, are you drawing baseball uh, yeah. cards for them? Have you done everybody in your family as a baseball card?
2: <laughs> no, but I should. You I, should. I have done that's, your,
1: that's your Christmas gift there this it is.
2: Christmas 2021. Yeah. I actually did a, uh, I, I drew a Mike Trout uh, baseball card for Tops. It was kind of a, a deal between Tops and Marvel. And I was able to bridge kind of my two passions. Between, oh my gosh, uh, that's Mar- great.
1: So your dad's into but, baseball. Uh, your brothers are into baseball. Your mom is uh, art adjacent or art aware. Yeah. How how is yeah. that foundational? Does that uh, encourage your career in the arts, or do you f- do you feel like a black sheep, or do you feel like this is a really
2: accepted, encouraged thing? Uh, I I think it's accepted. You know, I mean, I've, I don't know. They've never told me I'm not welcome at that family <laughs> reunion. But um, you know, it's my my brother my brothers and my and my and my dad don't you know, they fully acknowledge, like they don't fully understand like the creative world and kind of the entertainment world. Um, but they, they love that I'm happy and yeah. doing the thing that I love to do. Um, my, my brother, Bobby has never seen a Marvel movie. So wow. like, Wait, What? Like, yeah. Yeah. Too busy yeah, yeah, playing like,
0: baseball? Is that what, the, is that the reason why? Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's just it's just not his bag. He, yeah, he does, doesn't really. He's not into it. So that, it's that's, because, that's like, like
0: saying that you've never seen a baseball game. Like that's gonna like <laughs> I mean, I, I'm aware that baseball exists, but I've just never really been interested in watching a baseball game.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I had a conversation with him last week, and uh, one of the other coaches, you know, the, with the A's, you know, they called me because he had a bunch of questions about Marvel and WandaVision, and my brother's like, I, I don't know. He's like, I'm. You're asking the wrong person. You need to ask my brother that stuff. And so. Uh, so I talked to one of the other coaches, but I was telling my <laughs> wife just this, this, this morning that like you know, when I was, I grew up playing baseball as well. And I, you know, I played baseball through high school when I was on the baseball team hanging out with the baseball guys, I was like the, the creative artsy one. But then when I was with like the creative artsy people, I was kind of the jock. Right. You're so, Right. Yeah. It's like, I, I kind of never quite fit in in either world. Right. But, you know, ironically though, Um, You know, at Marvel, I really have found a home in people that love baseball and love Marvel. I mean, Joe Quesada is a huge baseball fan. Um, uh, Steve Wacker, um, you know, these guys are are great friends and great mentors to me. And uh, they're just amazing, amazingly talented people. Yeah, but before that, you
1: worked for a, a small press digital thing in the 90s. Yeah. What what happens from there right, after I that jump, job? I
2: jumped forward like 20 years on it. That's, yeah, why that's right. it was, uh, we you brought back. you back. We're along
1: we're for the journey, man. Take, take us back to what happens after that studio or, or take us from there.
2: Uh, so after I, I, I got the comic gig, I did about three issues of that. And uh, then all the creators, we suddenly realized we weren't getting paid anything. Right. Um, and so the company kind of went, went down, but... Um, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, like with this comic thing, like, was this going to work out? I wasn't sure. Um, and, uh, so I went back to school, uh, started studying again. And even then I wasn't sure if, if art was going to work out, you know, I was, I was really nervous. I had, um, you know, I was, re- you know, recently married and had two kids pretty quick and we had twins. And, um, so I had this like growing family and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to to make it work. Right. And you're like, um, maybe I'll
0: have to fall back on my professional on
2: baseball profe-
1: career, <laughs> professional baseball as a fallback.
2: <laughs> maybe I'll just be a, a baseball star. That's yes. cool uh, yeah, no, I didn't, I was never that good. I, 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 I could hold my own. I was okay. I just, <laughs> uh, I was a much better artist than I was a baseball player. Um, but, uh, no, I thought about going into law enforcement for a while and I was very close to mm. being a, a police officer at one point. Um, and, uh, and then in 2005, I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Josh Stedman, who has done lots of work in the themed entertainment industry, he's done stuff at Disney. He's now at Storyland Studios, if you guys are familiar with them. We or are it. very and, familiar uh, with them. Okay, so Josh Stedman, you know, one of my best friends in the world. And uh, he calls me up in 2005 and he's like, Hey, Imagineering is doing this competition. It's called Imaginations. You gotta, you gotta design like a ride and we submit it and we might get jobs. And I'm like, I'm literally going to school during the day working as a security guard at night, uh, to make ends meet. Um, and, uh, and so as, as a security guard, I'm sitting, I was, I was working at the, uh, the Anaheim Hilton, uh, hotel. So I'm on the rooftop doing, you know, drawing, uh, (laughs) this, this competition and we entered and, uh, and they, they really liked our stuff. We came up with an idea based on, uh, the Rocketeer uh, which I know you guys are... Oh, my gosh.
0: We spent 45 yeah. minutes talking about this right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, Josh and I love The Rocketeer. He even more so than me, you know, but we we both love the, the, that movie. Um, and so we just came up with a ride idea that was essentially, a, you know, set in 1930s Hollywood. we thought, oh, it'd be great for California Adventure. And yeah. so we had a whole storyline of what we could do. And I drew the storyboards um, and I made them look like an old 1930s comic. Yeah. So that was my, my in.
1: Yeah.
2: And, uh, they, they loved our presentation. They loved, you know, the, the ride concept. They brought us in, they interviewed us and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that turned into, a uh, an internship at Walt Disney Imagineering in, in the summer of 2005. Wow. And, uh, and I, I, I was working in the, uh, the information resource center there. So I was, uh, doing a lot of, you know, cataloging artwork and things like that. Um, and really getting to know Imagineers and getting to know the way Imagineering operates, um, you know, being able to sit down with guys like Bruce Gordon and talk to them about my career was immensely beneficial. Um, and I, every, every artist that came in, you know, because this is kind of the early days of digital art, you know, people, you know, most of the artists at Imagineering hadn't really transitioned over to digital art yet. And so still was pretty much mostly physical paintings and drawings. Yeah. And so I was cataloging that stuff. And, um, and so every time they'd come in, I'd try and chat them up, you know, and of course I had my portfolio there at the ready too, and, you know, show my work. And, uh, after the internship was over, um, I was offered a a full-time job, um, still not in art, but I was offered a full-time job, uh, in what was called visual imaging production. Um, and it was a great entry-level position. I was, uh, helping put together presentations and, uh, and things like that. And again, getting to know everybody, in the creative division and kind of how, you know, how how pitch meetings worked yeah. and brainstorms operated and the way Imagineering thought. So it was great training for me.
0: Um, so you have this experience of growing up in Orange County. Disneyland is in your backyard. You're used to doing Disneyland. You have this trajectory as an artist and as a comic book artist specifically. When your friend approached you about doing a submission for Walt Disney Imagineering, was being an imagineer something that was even a concept for you because Aaron and I often talk about the blessing the regional blessing. We talk about a lot of a lot of people who became imagineers as a result of being in Orange County and sort of being enveloped enveloped by the Disney bubble that that is something that is an attainable goal. You know, it's it's a hard goal, but is an attainable yep. goal to become an imagineer as opposed to guys like aaron or i who were not raised you know did not grow up in southern california and so the idea of becoming an imagineer is more of like this thing where you don't latch onto it until almost too late like oh that's a thing that you can do and, and have a job at so uh given where you grew up was that something that was in your mind or was it just another opportunity to become an artist at another place that could use an artist
2: yeah, you know the the only thing I knew about Imagineering was what I saw on a a TV interstitial on the Disney Channel called Imagineer That. Okay. And and I re, I remember watching this as a kid when Disney Channel first came on, and we'd watch, you know, uh, I think it was DTV and uh, Mouser Size, and you know, shows like that. Yeah. And there was this interstitial that came on. It was called Imagineer That, and they showed, quote unquote, Imagineers going down into the submarine voyage to do maintenance on that attraction. And they were, they were scuba divers. Yeah. And I remember thinking that's awesome. Like what kind of, what a cool job And they get to go scuba dive with sea serpents and mermaids and buried treasure. Like it just seemed really cool, but I I never had really considered Imagineering as a thing that I could do. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really until uh, Josh brought it to my attention. I mean, Josh and I had talked about Imagineering before. Um, his goal was always imagineering and and theme parks and and so I knew about it more from him um, for me it was comics was was always my my first first goal but once we once we you know entered this competition and I started seeing how I could translate a lot of the the work and and thinking that I had done you know as a kid with Disneyland and comics and 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 sequential storytelling, I could bring a lot of that to imagineering yeah. Yeah. Um, And and just in the way we presented um, presented concepts, presented new ride ideas and things like that. And so I I brought a lot of that sequential art to my to my concepts that I worked on at WDI that first round. Hmm.
1: And then the internship didn't sound like it was directly art related. So if if that's true, my question is, do, do do you find that that is true of the Disney company that they have these people that are incredible art that everybody there's not, not everybody's an incredible artist, but everybody has a way of thinking, has an imagination, has an ability to tell a story. And you find these people doing all sorts of jobs that aren't directly creative jobs.
2: I wouldn't say everybody. Um, but certainly there, you know, there's a, there's a, a lot of people that are, that are wearing different hats and doing things at, at WDI that maybe isn't the thing that they had imagined right out of the gate or right. imagined doing it or even in, as a student in school. Um, so, when, you know, once I got in, though, you know, that was my foot in the door. And, 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 I, and it did dawn on me then that the real work was just beginning. Mm. I needed to, I looked at the guys who were, who were doing, who were on projects and doing concept art. And a lot of them had been around for 20, 25, 30, 35 years. I'm like, how do I compete? with? How do I even get on a project um, with these guys? So I, I needed to you know, now move away from my, my entry level position, which I was grateful to have. Yeah. Um, but now move into what I really wanted to do. Um, but I, I knew that they weren't just going to take my word for it. I needed to show that I could do the work. So what I would do is, um, there was a conference room at, at Imagineering. And I discovered that the door was always open to this conference room and, and inside the conference room were, these giant four by eight boards that had, you know, one for each resort or each park, I should say. And, and it had it was essentially kind of a 10-year menu of everything that was coming up for the next 10 years. And, and in some cases, they knew exactly what was coming, right? Like, you know, what was going to be built in a year or two. And in some cases, it was five, six, seven, eight, nine years out. And they didn't know what that was going to be. They just knew um, probably around then we're going to need a D-ticket ride or we're going to need uh, an e-ticket ride. And so I would go in there and take note of the things that hadn't been identified yet. And, and then I would set up meetings with the portfolio leaders and go, hey, I noticed in uh, 2014, you guys are planning on a new D-ticket. Has anyone taken a crack at that? You mind if I do? Wow, and more often very
1: not, enterprising. Yeah, way to go.
2: <laughs> and, and more often than not, nobody had really given it much thought. And so um, I, would, I would take that information back to my, my office and uh, I would pretty much be there all night. You know, and my, my wife, she was incredibly patient with me uh, knowing that I, you know, what I was doing. And uh, I, I had a fold-out mat that I kept underneath my, uh, underneath my desk because sometimes I'd, I'd literally be there all night and maybe get a couple hours sleep, you know, on the floor of my office. Um, and I was just building my portfolio and, and showing that I could do theme park storytelling that I could, I could, you know, you know be a contributor in the concept design department. And it took me about a year and a half. Um, and then I finally broke in and it certainly was a combination of hard work, personal sacrifice mixed with great mentors who took yeah. a chance on me. And, um, and were you, you know, getting t-
0: revisions on your art during that time as well?
2: Yes. Yeah, sh- yeah, definitely. I was showing my stuff to everybody that I could, um, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, uh, Josh Shipley, who, I I don't know if he's been on your show before, but he and I became really good friends. And, uh, and, you know, we would work on a lot of, a lot of ideas together. Um, you know, Jeff Leatherwood, who was another Imagineer, he and I, you know, we worked on, on tons of stuff. And Tony Baxter was really kind of my first mentor that took a chance on me. Um, and, uh, and he, he gave me this, this card and it was a, it was a star Wars card. And, uh, you opened it up and it played Star Wars music, you know, like you could buy anywhere. But all it said was, I believe in your talent, Tony.
1: Oh my and, gosh. That's amazing. And do you that
2: have that frame somewhere? <laughs> I don't, but I still have it. You I, better. I,
0: I, I'm telling I'm giving
2: yeah. you the assignment right now. You mm-hmm. get that card yeah. framed. And that that was um that was Maybe just a little, the nudge that I needed yeah. to know that somebody of Tony's caliber thought that I could do this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I worked with him quite a bit. And then I worked with, you know, people like, uh, Robert Coltrane, who's one of the most, you know, probably most prolific unsung heroes of Imagineering. Yeah. Um, and uh he took a chance on me and gave me amazing opportunities uh Dave Crawford uh Jim Clark who's now um you know he he's done a, a bunch of stuff just worked on most recently uh Tokyo Disneyland exp- you know, Fantasy Land expansion and um i just i was very fortunate to have people that uh took a chance on me yeah. and uh and, and it, it really helped my career grow so you end up
0: uh i think we may have st- skipped over it or you touched on it, but you ended up becoming a concept designer for, yeah. uh, Imagineering and, and obviously the sequential storytelling of that is, uh, and all of the hard work that you just described, you know, leads into that. What is the first big project? If you, you know, put big in quotes, what's the first big project that you get assigned to as a concept designer?
2: It was mostly like blue sky development. Um, I did some, did some work on, on Tron, um, for Shanghai. Uh, I was, I did some storyboarding on that. Um, the first, the first big thing that I worked on, it wasn't really concept design, but it was the Finding Nemo submarine voyage attraction. Yeah. Um, that was a Tony Baxter,
0: uh, that was a Tony Baxter led project.
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, um, I worked on the model a little bit. Um, and so that was, that was fun. And then once Marvel became a part of the family, that's when things really took off for me. Yeah. So in 2009, I'll never forget, you know, when, uh, when it was announced that the Walt Disney company had purchased Marvel. Yeah. It was like Christmas morning for me because I mean, <laughs> it, it, rewinding the clock, I wanted to be a comic book artist. I'm now at Imagineering trying to learn the craft of theme park storytelling, Right. Uh, you know, learning on the job.
0: You're holding out hope that the next year the MLB is bought by Disney and you're like, then everything <laughs> is, everything's coming up. Brian Crosby. Right.
2: Exactly, exactly. so but so two thousand and nine, I open my computer, I go into work, and I see the Walt Disney Company and the Marvel logo next to each other. And I can't even express to you how excited I was that day. I couldn't text enough people and and tell them how how pumped I was that Marvel was a part. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I honestly could not believe. it. I was so excited about, you know the different the possibilities of what we could do um, in bringing Marvel. Into the Disney Parks, and I remember what we. One of the first things that happened was the author of the Marvel Encyclopedia was coming to Imagineering, and he was going to give a kind of a Marvel one hundred and one presentation to the Imagineers. And there was a lot of buzz around Imagineering about what Marvel meant. You know, let's just to set the stage a little bit. Iron Man one and Iron Man two had come out. Uh, as well as Incredible Hulk, right? So those were the three Marvel Studios films that were out. People knew Spider-Man, people knew the X-Men a little bit. Thor and Loki were not really well known. The Guardians of the Galaxy certainly were not known. You know, I know that stuff, and i I know comics. And so so this guy, the the author comes to comes to imaginary, and we all pack into the the wed conference room. It's the biggest conference room at, at Wdi. I'm like in the front row, so jazz, so excited to be a part of this. I'm like, this is, this is historical. Like, this is, this is so cool. And this guy starts rattling off all the deep cuts. Like he didn't, he did not, he did not paint broad strokes. Like he was, he was into like the, the clone saga and he was talking oh about my the gosh. dark. gosh. Yeah. So it was like, he He's was like, like okay, let deep.
0: me talk about the Eternals.
1: And you're like, what?
2: Yeah. And everybody, you just see people's eyes glaze over. Right. Well, that was just it is. So I'm like, I'm again, remember I'm in the front row. I'm so, I'm so locked in. I'm like, this is this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I distinctly remember at one point, I wanted to make sure everyone was enjoying this with me.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: And so I turned around to look at the other Imagineers, blank faces. Nobody knows what this guy is talking about. People, like a few people walked out, like it just because it was not. And, and so initially I was pretty disheartened by yeah. that. I was like, I was kind of, I was like, oh gosh, nobody's, Nobody's into it. But then the light went off. I'm like, this is a thing that I know that nobody else here knows or cares about. Yeah. And and so so then it was another moment of like, time to go to work. There's such an
0: interesting uh, reflection there because you have somebody who wrote the Marvel Encyclopedia, who is not necessarily a storyteller, presenting a history of stories to a room full of trained storytellers. Like, and and yeah. I, and if if you are not able to sell the attractiveness or the excitement of bringing the marvel uh, universe to Imagineering, then something has gone horribly wrong
2: well it just it seemed i think for for most imagineers, it seemed very unapproachable. Mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of this niche thing, you know, if you unless you were a super comic book nerd, it was kind of like, you know. I don't know what this all this stuff is. I haven't been reading comics for 30 years and, you know, things like that. And so it was very different from Disney storytelling and it seemed violent and it seemed aggressive. And, and inapproachable. it kinda,
1: like it takes if you have to if you have to get yeah. a lesson for four hours on how to enjoy this. Like, what are you guys going to do?
2: Right. And, and, and keep in mind, when you go into Disneyland, you know, I mean, as you guys well know, there's a plaque above as you walk into Main Street says, here you leave here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow and fantasy. now Marvel is not really those things. Right. Marvel Good. is more grounded in the here and now. Um, Peter Parker could go to Disneyland. In fact, he has in the comics. Yeah. yeah. And so as we Disneyland know,
0: Peter Quill has gone to Epcot
2: as we, as we <laughs> exactly. will know that. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, so like that is a shift in how you tell stories in, in the Disney parks with Marvel and, and it, we weren't sure how to approach it. Just yeah. sure. And so I, I just, I went, I went, I was all in. Like I was pitching anything and everything I could think of Marvel related. And, you know, thanks to, you know, Kevin Rafferty and, and Robert Coltrane who gave me uh, opportunities to do that. Um, we were working on things big and small, as small as a churro cart, as big as a full park. Like we were just pitching anything under the sun we could think of. That that was kind of the 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 jump start for for my second the second half of my career. So let me ask you a question about
0: that. When you uh, so how how do you reconcile that? Right, I, I think I think Disney fandom as a whole has uh, received Marvel pretty well in Disney parks. But I imagine that's got to be really challenging. And we even talked about it on on our show when we talk about Avengers Campus and storytelling in Avengers Campus. And and I recognize that because Avengers Campus hasn't opened yet, we don't know how that storytelling is going to go. But there's got to be a challenge there, specifically because of what you identified, that Marvel takes place in our reality. uh, And Disneyland is about going to a different reality, more more or less. And so how is that as Imagineers and storytellers Uh, trying to reconcile that and be able to fit those things into Disney parks. Because like you said, they don't fit cleanly in a Tomorrowland or a Frontierland necessarily. Uh, And so you have to look at doing an Avengers Campus about
1: bringing a land of its own. Uh, But was there thoughts of... like Even if they'd bought DC, which they should never have done, but you got Gotham and Metropolis, which are at least... You know, there are other places. Right, Marvel is here and now, and so if that plaque yeah. would have said "Here you enter," a you know, an alternate reality or a, you know something like that would have made sense. But yeah, or even justifying like a park in and of itself, right? Yeah. Like a Marvel park where you don't have to worry
0: about the the challenges of making this thing fit with what you've already established in any other Disney park. I imagine there's a lot of conversation around that at Imagineering
2: tons tons you know and and we had we had uh, extensive philosophical questions about how to answer that exact yeah. question yeah um and the uh the result of those conversations really is where the iron man experience was born so before we we did that um we were talking about bringing star tours to hong kong disneyland right so they they don't have star tours there if you haven't been um and, uh, so I, you know, Robert Coltrane had brought me on to do a few sketches of what star tours might look like in their Tomorrowland, And that got presented and the Hong Kong government came back or I don't know if it's the Hong Kong government or Hong Kong parks reps, but they came back and said, you know, star Wars in Hong Kong is not really that big of a thing. Yeah. Like they're not, we're not really into it that much, but we really like the Marvel movies. We really think those are cool. And, and so, um, here I was, you know, right place, right time. And so we start coming up with Marvel concepts for, for Hong Kong Disneyland, for Tomorrowland specifically. We had a, we had a few different ideas. We, we quickly landed on the notion of the Stark Expo um, based on those philosophical questions because the Stark Expo kind of felt Disney-esque. It felt like, a you know, it could feel kind of temporary, like it was set up inside of Disneyland. Yep, absolutely. I, I had an idea in the middle of the night and I turned to my wife. This is like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I go, I go, I go we, we did all this work to figure out Star Tours in, in Tomorrowland there. Like there's nothing, there's no rule saying that a simulator ride has to be Star Wars. Like why couldn't it be Marvel? Why couldn't it be a Marvel simulator?
0: And ride? she said, why are you bothering me at it's 3, 3 o'clock, o'clock in the morning?
2: morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, she knows. That's when I get my, my, my ideas is at that time. And she goes, well, you got to go, go write it down. Write it down. And so my train ride into work that day was jotting down an idea of what a Marvel simulator ride might be. And so we were scheduled to pitch that day, the Stark Expo concepts that we had come up with to Tom Staggs, who was the head of parks and resorts at the time. Yep, Love Tom, by the way. Awesome guy. And so before we're about to do that, I told Robert, I said, I kind of had this idea in the middle of the night and I showed him this board that I put together. It was kind of a pitch board of what a Marvel simulator might look like. He's like, he's like, this is pretty cool. He's like, let's hold on to it. Let's keep it as kind of a dark horse idea. So we go, and before we have the Tom Staggs meeting, we run Joe Cicero through all of the concepts that we had developed for the Stark Expo. And, 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 was, hey, and by the for, way, for our
0: audience, Joe
2: Cicero is who? I'm sorry. Joe Cicero was the portfolio leader of Hong Kong Disneyland Great. at that time. Um, and so... Then we said, by the way, we had this other little idea of like a Marvel simulator thing. And he said the same thing. Let's hold on to that one. We'll see how the other ones go. And then maybe we'll pitch that one at the end if we have, if we have an extra minute. So Tom comes in. We pitch him the, the Stark Expo ideas that we had. And he, he was kind of lukewarm on all of them. And nothing seemed quite right. And then we said, well, we do have this other little dark horse idea. And so we brought it out and showed him this Marvel simulator thing. And he's like, that's the one. He's like, that's it. He's hmm. like, let's do it. We're doing that. And so we, suddenly we were off and running and on creating this Marvel simulator attraction. So, so we had to figure out all of those things that we just talked about. Philosophically, how you put an Iron Man, well, at the time it was going to be an Avengers ride, how you put an Avengers ride into Hong Kong Disneyland and make that make sense. And if you have a chance to go and ride it, we acknowledge Disneyland. We acknowledge that Tony Stark, Knew knew that Hong Kong Disneyland was a thing, and he brought the, the new Stark Expo to Hong Kong Disneyland, set up shop, and he was going to uh, take you on this adventure. Well, it wasn't supposed to be an not it's not supposed to be an adventure. It's more of a test ride on this new prototype vehicle called an Iron Wing, and of course, something goes wrong. Something goes wrong, yeah. and some you know some bad guys want to steal his tech. So uh, you end up getting caught up in this adventure uh, with. You know, 44 of your closest friends in this uh, essentially Iron Man flying vehicle and it's in 3D. So you have a heads up display like Iron Man. You have Jarvis talking to you. You see Iron Man flying in front of you. You're flying out over the bay into Hong Kong and you get attacked by the forces of Hydra who are trying to steal a giant arc reactor that is being that is now placed on the top of a new Stark Tower that's been built in Hong Kong in downtown Hong Kong. And so, uh, that was our, that was our story. But you, when you fly out, out of the hangar, you fly over the castle and over Tomorrowland and out over the bay. So we, you know, it's, it's, it's very kind of mission to Mars in that way yeah. where you get to, you know, you yeah. kind of see the, or soar over and, like,
1: California where you have the, the yes. end at the park.
2: Yeah. So you, we acknowledge the park as part of the storytelling. It's so, I mean, it's so, so interesting. It's, great- it's
1: such a hard thing to come
2: up with because Disneyland
1: historically is about taking you somewhere else. You go into Adventureland and you're going somewhere else. You go into Tomorrowland, but, but that whole idea of, um, so you're going to the fantasy where that sort of take is bringing the fantasy to you, which is just, a, it's a different thing. I just find yeah. that fascinating and it feels right. Like it feels right to do that.
2: Well, and not only that, but it's different from Marvel because like I said, you know, earlier, you know, where you're not watching a movie or reading a comic, suddenly Tony Stark, Iron Man needs to address you and know that you're, you're a part of this thing. So what is the, what is the guest's role in this, in this adventure? What are yeah. you doing at the Stark Expo? Um, also, what things do you need to know before you get on that ride vehicle? So you need to know what the ride vehicle is. You need to know what the Stark Expo is. You need to know who Hydra is. You need to know that Iron Man isn't a robot, but it's a guy in right. a suit. And so, you know, there are all these little pieces of homework that we had to do to teach you along the way. Really, the real storytelling on that attraction takes place in the queue. Yeah, where we, as know, it advise should. advise to tell that story. Because, I mean, we've got you captive for an hour. An hour yeah, and yeah exactly.
1: Let me ask you this real quick before, before we move on. It sounded like when, when you heard Disney bought Marvel. Uh, that was an important announcement to you. And then and then you then you sat in this uh, this 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 Wikipedia, this this Marvelpedia training and there was this sense of of the importance of making sure everybody was on board. This sort of I don't know, I, I wanna describe it almost as evangelical on your part of like, hey guys, I like this. what did that mean? Why was that so important to you? Why why did you look around that room? That's what I wanna know. Why did you stop and look around to see if everybody was on board?
2: In the same the same reason, when you go to a a big blockbuster movie and you want everybody to cheer and laugh at the moments that they should cheer and laugh, yeah, because it's a communal experience. You you want people to, you know, when when you know, I'm gonna go go let's go baseball for a second. When you're when you're at the home stadium and you're rooting for your team, you you know when somebody's not rooting for your team, you throw peanuts at them, <laughs> right? Like. <laughs> You know, you want everybody to root for your team. And so, you know, when we were in that room, I mean, these were my coworkers, These are my colleagues. These are my friends. I wanted them to be as excited as I was so that we could be excited together and work on these amazing things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I knew and I also kind of maybe in the back of my mind thought if if they hate this, this is going to be this is going to be tough to do.
0: Well, let's let's transition over to an attraction that uh, was, I would say, a little touch and go with with Disney fans, and that was Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Um, I, I, you know, <laughs> looking at uh, one right here, buddy. When that wow. was when that was announced, there were uh, more than just Aaron and I that were going. What are you going to do? Hold on. Uh, and so I imagine uh, now I know that you you worked on Guardians, and what was the pressure that you were feeling at that time when you were. Uh, receiving sort of the fan... I mean, I th- I think I could qualify it as backlash, the fan backlash of going uh, away from uh, Tower of Terror and, you know, the reskin, uh, as people called it, into Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you know, a- as a not to bury the yeah. lead here, we both are huge fans of the way that turned out. We are amazed at how enjoyable that ride experience. But was is. dead
1: set on not liking it. I yeah. think that's that. There's a movie called uh, like Jiro Dreams of Sushi or whatever, where he talks about like his dad was a sushi maker, so he can't just be as good as his dad. He has to be like way better to get that name. And when you when you take away the Tower of Terror, Ga- Gardens of the Galaxy can't be as good. It has to be way better. And I think we were all nervous about that. So what was the pressure like for you on the creative team? there
2: well so so when i'm when i'm working on gardens galaxy you know mission breakout i'm no longer at imagineering i'm now at marvel so I, i i had taken on a new role right um and and so i had transitioned over into this role of creative director of marvel themed entertainment which was didn't exist um previously um so it was suddenly i've i've got this new growing department of people and we are uh responsible for working with imagineering and helping Shepherd in, you know, more Marvel content into into the Disney parks. So there's the pressure of that, of of being in a in a new new role. The pressure of working with a new portfolio leader and Joe Rhodey, who I I certainly knew of him, but I had never worked with him before. So there was that. And on top of that, the added pressure of, you know, kinda nobody wants us to do this in the public. (laughs) You know? And and so you know when um so first things first I I'm working on the new role I you know I'm excited about what I'm doing thanks to Joe Casada I have this new job and you're sort of like a brand
0: defender at this point right I mean like you you're
2: you're making yeah, sure I that mean, if you're going to integrate uh, sure. Marvel characters
0: you're going to do it the right way
2: yeah I mean I I, I hate the term like brand police but because I, I don't I didn't want to be that you know it was never my goal to be the brand police because I I said I always said from the beginning. I'm your partner. I want to be in the room with you on day one. I want to be breaking story. I want to be sketching ideas. I want to be throwing. You don't need to throw a polished presentation together for me. Like I want to be doing like in the, in the weeds with you. Yeah. And Joe was great about welcoming that. So I learned a lot from Joe. Um, In fact, he became one of my, one of my great mentors just in terms of leadership skills and managing a team and just having no ego about him whatsoever. Like he, He's confident in what he knows, which he knows a lot, but he's also more than happy to listen to ideas and, you know, hear, hear, the, hear the ideas that the team has and then make a decision as the leader and, and own that decision and say, okay, everybody gets a chance to speak. And he told us, he's like, look, you will be invited to every meeting we do. If you, if you choose not to come. For whatever reason, that's on you. But you may be forfeiting your opportunity to participate and contribute and and have a say in what he's like. Cause we got to move, we got to do stuff. So we can't just sit back and wait for you to review stuff and and run things up the chain and and all that stuff that, you know, kind of has to happen, you know, on a certain level. But, but Joe, you know, on Guardians of the Galaxy, we had a very short amount of time to make that work. So we were invited to everything, we were all there, we all participated. We certainly heard the fans. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not deaf. I mean, we, you know, we hear that stuff and, you know, you know, we know kind of what's going on in the, in the, in the, in, in fandom. So we, we maybe thought Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't the right idea. We explored some other, other concepts, you know, first just to make sure we had the right thing. But, uh, but Disneyland leadership was, you know, they were really, really sold on, on Guardians of the Galaxy. It worked out great that Guardians of the Galaxy volume two was coming out that same summer. Right which ended up being an absolutely crazy summer for me in Southern California because we had the Summer of Heroes event at California Adventure. We were opening Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, huge you know, tentpole attraction. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was coming out, so we were working on events to promote that film. And then we also had Marvel Universe Live with Feld Entertainment, which was a big arena show, also hitting the Honda Center and Southern California right at that same time.
0: A and perfect so storm, basically, was, of Marvel uh, Marvel entertainment.
2: Marvel themed entertainment was like in full effect in Southern California at that time. It was so it was exciting, but it was also we had to figure out ways to make sure people didn't confuse get confused about what was what. But anyway, so so you know we, we explored some diff- different ideas. You know, one of the things that you know that that Joe said is that this needs to be you know identify all the tent poles of what makes Guardians of the Galaxy appealing, which is it's irreverent, it's funny it has superhero action. So we got to deliver on all of that stuff. So we had to really, we had to believe in our story enough that what we were doing was something that we wanted to experience and we wanted to see. And so, you know, we, we, we brainstormed, we worked really hard. We came up with the right music that, that worked with the cadence of of the drop sequence and we would ride that thing over and over and over at like one, two in the morning and that's, I think that's when we really thought, I think we've got some, I think yeah. we I think we've done it. I think, I think this works and I think people are going to dig it. Um, but we knew that, you know, Tower of Terror was a great attraction, but it was about suspense and mystery and fear. And Guardians of the Galaxy was not going to be that. It wasn't going to be about suspense or mystery or fear. It was going to be, we, we need to be on a mission. So Rocket became the catalyst for getting us on that mission and it was going to be really built on more com- comedy and music and all of those things that, that make guardians of the galaxy great. So once we wrote it and, you know, I mean, James Gunn directed the actors, um, they were phenomenal. They were all on board to do it, uh, which was, which was great. Um, you know, I mean, how do you replace those guys? I mean, they're, they're, they're just phenomenal in those roles and they don't know how to do it. And, and, and more than anything, James knows how to direct them, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, it was it was just uh, it was a great project to be involved in it 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 was really fast really furious we had a short amount of time to do it so we didn't have a lot of time to question ourselves we yeah. were we were up and running
0: <laughs> well I think it's one of those projects too where uh, you know I think when fans hear uh, the announcement that Disney's going to do something with their favorite ride you know insert ride here. And you get the initial fan reaction of like, wait, you're messing with my nostalgia. Like, I I don't want that. Yeah, you're messing
1: with important memories. Right.
0: Like you you are replacing. You are potentially wiping out memories that I have, or being able to not be able to share that with uh, with my family members or loved ones. Uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is a really good example of saying, yeah, but just trust in the process right, because so much. the Imagineers they are not out there to get rid of something without making it better. And I think uh, Mission Breakout is, is just such a good example of
1: that. When we interviewed uh, Tom Morris, you know, he he made this comment and he said, uh, I didn't really know. I didn't really know what they were doing with this thing. I just assumed it would be great. And I was like, that is such an awesome way to look at the company that you worked for. And in Guardians of the Galaxy, we all could have taken a dose of like, I don't know what they're doing with Tower of Terror. I assume it's going to be amazing because when I finally got over myself and went like, fine, I will go on it. I was like, Wow, that's better. Like yeah. it's it's what a fun ride. What a and it's it's just an amazing ride that I've enjoyed with my kids in a way that I never thought was possible. Well,
0: and the and the focus of being uh, a fear-based attraction to flip it to be a fun-based attraction and yet it be the same ride mechanism
1: is just one of those you things where You all come off that ride as rock stars. You just you're yeah. like, are we in a band? I feel like we're on a band. Yeah. It's
2: just amazing. <laughs> but I mean it's it's you know, it's not unlike Iron Man experience in that way. Right. Like you know, we had a simulator ride. People, you know, we here in Southern California have been on Star Wars for whatever, 30 years, right? Yeah. We have a preconceived idea of what that experience is. But in Hong Kong, they don't have Star Tours. And so they didn't have that baked in idea of like, this has to be Star Star Wars. Yeah, you know, right. it's like, we are giving them something new. It was a great Iron Man attraction and they loved it. And so with this, it was like, I mean, the, the ride mechanism, there's nothing saying that this has to be a scary twilight zone ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it had been, but it could be a lot of different things.
1: Thanks so much for for talking to us and and, and sharing uh, that journey, which is just absolutely amazing. I know that a lot of, a lot of families listen to the show. My kids in particular uh, want to be concept artists and, and, you know, draw every day. What, uh, I mean, it sounds like there's no way you could have planned that journey. You would have had to know that Disney was going to buy Marvel. So it's just like this amazing thing uh, that happened because of your pursuit of art. What type of advice would you give a kid now? What type of things should they be looking at? Um, where do you see things going to our our younger listeners, our 10 year olds uh, back when you started your journey? Uh, my daughter was 10, just turned 11 desperately wants to be a concept artist. What would you tell them about your journey and what they should look for?
2: I would tell them that, you know, y- a, a, you can do it. It's possible. People do this kind of stuff. Um, and, and I would say you got to do what you love, you know, um, there, there's certainly a, a lot of things that have to go right in terms of right time, right, you know, right place, right time. But if you are working hard and sacrificing and keep plugging away, you will start to put yourself in, in situations where you can break in, where you can, you know, you're going to build your network you know, you may have to do some work for free, like a Barbie Spawn type thing, um, you know. So, you know, doing Barbie Spawn, you know, w- we laugh, but like that made me a professional. And, and I got to meet a handful of people that were in the industry that one job leads to the next, you know. And you never know what that, you know, who you're going to meet in, in doing something, doing something fun, doing something that you love. Yeah. So what I usually tell people is make the make the company that you want to work for kind of a secondary goal. Because mm. a lot of, you know, a lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, how do I how do I break in at Marvel? How do I break in at Disney? I'm like, well, what do you want to do at Marvel? Like, like there's lots of jobs. You know, there's lots of jobs at Disney. You know, do you do you want to write? Do you want to draw? Do you want to be an engineer? Do you want to do visual effects? Like, what is it that you want to do? What are you passionate about? And so I say, do whatever it is that you're passionate about and get really good at that thing. Um, I would say, you know, there's a phrase, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I think it's good to be jack of all trades, master of one. You need that thing that you're really good at that gets you in the door, right? Because um, a, a producer is going to put together a, an Excel spreadsheet that has a list of all the people that are on the project and what their deliverable is and what they're doing. You want to find a place on that Excel spreadsheet and if that's being an artist, you want to be the concept designer on there, and and the way you get on there is by being one of the best in your field, by being yeah. really good at that thing. Now, once you're on the project, now you can show that you're a jack of all trades, that you can that you're good with ideas, that you can write a little bit. I mean, I, I've you know, I just did a did an event celebrating uh, the 30th anniversary of Deadpool, and you know, and I I put that together. I, I wrote a, a chunk of it. I worked with a new media team that was. Uh, amazing and doing, you know, all of the the production and the video production and all that stuff. So I learned a ton working with them, but I learned, but I, I'm not a master of all of that stuff. Like none of my, none of my artistic training really trained me for putting together a virtual Deadpool event. You know, it, that was, but I had my foot in the door and then I was at the right place in the right time. So I think you got to become at least a master of one and then show all, then show your versatility. I think it's great but advice. There's there's really no substitute in my personal opinion for hard work and sacrifice and just paying your dues. Like, like I said, nobody's going to knock on your door with your dream job. Like Disney, nobody's going to go, wow, nobody wants to make these Marvel movies anymore. Maybe you do Yeah. like that. That's just not going to happen. Right. So if you want to make movies, go make movies. And if you get really good at it, maybe you can direct a Marvel movie. That's someday. such great advice. So how do you
1: feel about the fact that you just, you gave really honest, really practical, really life-changing advice. And there's kids right now that are listening to that, that are going to do what you just said. And they're, they're going to take your advice. And in 20 years, they're going to be telling a story about Brian. Remember, I listened to this Bob Bobsleds and Banthas podcast and I heard this guy, Brian, and he was talking about it and I did what he said. And now I have that job. How do you feel about that responsibility?
2: Well, I mean, look, any of us that, that get to work at a, at a company like Marvel, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? You know, whether it's, whether it's Walt and, or, and Rolly Crump and, and John Hench or, you know, now at Marvel, it's Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and Joe Quesada and so many others. You know, we, we stand on the shoulders and we are the torchbearers of the, the amazing things that those people did. And we just try not to screw it up. So hopefully... You know, whoever those kids are that are inspired by this, you know, when they become the torchbearers, um, hopefully they don't screw it up. <laughs>
0: <That's> <laughs> so well said, so well said, Brian. Oh man, well, thank you so much for yeah, uh, you. for your time. Uh, it it wouldn't seem right to let you go without uh, without. Having you answer a couple of our guestions, uh, which are some of the standard questions that we ask uh, uh, guests that we get to interview. So here we go. We got 10 questions. You can't think about it very, uh, very fast. We did not prep you ahead of time. So these are off the dome. Uh, They are all appropriate, just so you know. Uh, And and here we go. (laughs) Ready? Uh, Your home park. Uh, Disneyland, Anaheim. Your favorite Disney character. Uh, Peter Pan. Yeah. Uh, Good answer. Uh, Which is a better song? Let it go or you're welcome.
2: You're welcome. Oh yeah! my
0: gosh! Like four to zero. This is like, yeah, I've never won this one. The world agrees with me. I cannot believe Thank this. You, Brian. Okay. Uh The you, Rock. You continue to it. be wrong. You are wrong, Brian. As much as I like <laughs> you, uh, and everybody that agrees with you is wrong. Uh, in what order? You mentioned that you are Star Wars fan, so I feel like we uh, yeah. we are able to set the stage. In what order do you watch Star
2: Wars? If, if I'm watching it myself now today, having seen everything, yeah, I watch it one through one through the end. Okay. Yep, chronological. If, if okay. Chronologically, if I if I'm introducing Star Wars to somebody for the first time, you start with four. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You got four, five, six. Amen. We
0: we have the official Bantha order, uh, which we uh, we discussed on one of our shows, and I invite you to to, to watch it. The Bantha order okay. uh, from now on.
2: All right. Uh, is this a machete? Order? Is it like a four, five, one, two,
1: it's machete, three? It's a machete variant, but yeah. yeah. I mean, we we put our own thing on it, but yeah. You of course. All right. You All start right. with four. You always have to start with four.
0: Uh, if you were changed into an enchanted object, which object would it be?
2: Uh, a pencil. Yeah, that
0: seems uh, very brand appropriate. Well yeah. done, Brian.
2: Yeah, I, I get I get a lot of work done if I was just an enchanted pencil. For sure, there there
0: you go. Dole Whip, Mickey Bar, or Churro. Dole Whip, hundred percent. All right. Wow. Rope drop yeah. or kiss goodnight? Rope drop. Ah, you're our first rope drop. I think.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean. I, I probably spent more kiss goodnights, you know, uh, you know, but I, I, I like the rope drop to me represents. I've got the whole day. Yeah, ahead of me. yeah that's right. true. You kiss got the whole day. Ahead means I'm you. Walking out. That's, I mean, that's it.
0: That's a good way of looking at it. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, what is your favorite Disney smell or sound, or you can give us both.
2: My favorite Disney smell is the inside of the pirates of the Caribbean that's attraction. Great answer.
1: Such a good answer.
2: Uh, my favorite sound is the, uh, let's go with the whistle of the train. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Them.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, Ewoks, heroes to the rebellion or blatant stuffed animal attempt.
2: Heroes to the rebellion. Yeah, baby. there you go. There you go. Return of the Jedi is my favorite star Wars movie. Right on. Uh, right on. Very good. I, I, it was, it was, it was the first one that I saw. No so way. I, yeah. So wow. the other ones predated me. So, you know, yeah. when I was six years old, return of the Jedi came out and, uh, all the, kids at school were talking about it. So I went, I tried to know what I was talking about too. So I went and saw Return of the Jedi. And were and you aware so of what so was going was on? Like, I just, I didn't need to. Like I, I, I knew that who the good guy was yeah, like sure, this yeah. guy, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader were in the zeitgeist. Like I knew yep. Darth Vader was the bad guy and, and Luke looked awesome in his black togs and the green lights. And by the way, to this day, I thought that Jedi Knights wore black
0: absolutely right because he was in traditional jedi knight garb
2: yeah yes and so when episode one came out it kind of baffled me because like i never thought of obi-wan's attire as jedi attire yeah i thought that's just what you because that's a terrible disguise if you're trying to hide out on tatooine exactly you're dressed like a jedi so i always thought that was like because uncle owen kind of wore the same thing so i thought that was just like tatooine gear right yeah when you're a Jedi Knight you wore all black. Yeah. And so when episode yeah. 1 came out and everybody's in the temple dressed like Tatooine hermits. Yeah, you're like these guys like, just I'm all come from
1: Tatooine. What's wait, the deal? Wait, they had a convention wait, down there? Oh, it was like a meet and greet Coruscant, and then they came up here. Uh, fashion inspired by uh, off-world It was like wear your Tatooine costume today like they have like a wear your baseball yeah. jersey. They had like it's Tatooine day at at the,
2: at yeah, the temple. Like, like that evolution of Luke from from 4 to 6, you know, when he when he embraces the Jedi like he looked he looked awesome i agree man. i you you will
0: not get any argument from, from this up, he looks
2: great that's right
0: uh okay last que- uh last question brian uh w- name one attraction uh that you will not go on uh teacups uh, okay you're in good company yeah you're in great I, I, can't company. Do spinning. I can't do it <laughs> <either>. <laughs> i can't do it i can't i tell my wife and yeah. kids i'll see you from the edge you'll be great i can't wait to watch you Uh, Okay, Brian, uh, before we let you go, we are also going to play a quick game of Mask Off. Mask Off is, of course, a game where we take two random characters and pit them in one random ridiculous challenge. We feel it's only appropriate to do a Marvel-themed Mask Off uh, for this, uh, this season. Or this this episode? He already did one on the Instagram live stream.
1: Crushed it. And you killed it. Yeah. You killed it on Instagram live. 100% uh, agreement rate, I believe, was I, his success. On I that.
0: believe you. we pitted uh, Scrooge McDuck against Howard the Duck yeah. in a pumpkin chunking contest. Yeah, so we did. And you, uh, <laughs> you, you answered that masterfully. Uh, but we'll see if you can answer these as masterfully. Here we go. We're going to spin uh, two of these wheels. Uh, okay, so here is the match-off. Oh, this is going to be good. Uh, we have Ghost Rider versus Galactus in a lightsaber juggling contest. <laughs> Ghost Rider versus Galactus. Who do you think is going to win a lightsaber juggling contest?
2: Um, I think I got to go with, um, with Ghost Rider. Um, Galactus juggling lightsabers. You know, the size of a lightsaber when you are the size of Galactus. That's a
0: terrifying thought, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that would go well um, for the I universe. Mean, he'd be able to fit thousands and thousands of lightsabers in his hands, yeah. his giant hands trying to grab a little tiny lightsaber. Yeah. Oh,
0: my thought was uh, several galactic sized lightsabers, which is a terrifying
2: thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, if we're gonna, if they're galactic sized lightsabers. Yeah, he still doesn't strike me as a very agile, yeah. agile guy. I, I think Ghost Rider. I'm gonna give that one to Ghost Rider.
0: Yeah, I feel like he's a lot more nimble. He's used to doing whip, uh, chain whipping action. I feel like
1: he's. It's not super intimidating. Well, yeah, it, and he's
2: I mean. got chains that are like on fire, so yeah. he's used to dealing with uh, weapons that. You know, just by touching them alone, yes, uh, would would cause some harm. So yeah, Ghost Rider. I've always
1: uh, thought that Galactus' peripheral vision not so good. It's kind of something you need for juggling. I just, I <laughs> yeah, that's a good peripheral point. Peripheral vision is not there. So that is a yeah. good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: good yeah. answer. All right, let's spin the wheel
0: again. We'll get another one. Go. All right, uh, Brian. Our next uh, mask off. Another good one. Uh, we have a uh, Black Panther, the king of Wakanda, versus Rocket and Groot, uh, a, a double team in a game of Jenga. Who wins oh, wow. in a a Black Panther versus Rocket and Groot in a Jenga
1: contest? Wow. I mean it seems obvious, but I want to see where, where he's going with this. I'm
0: very curious. I have my own uh my own decision here, but yeah, I'm wow. I'm curious. So
1: you can ask qualifying say, questions if you want.
2: Yeah, i well, I mean I'm gonna say Black Panther, and here's why. Oh yeah, okay. I think um if Groot is playing Jenga, presumably the Jenga blocks are made of wood. Yeah, and this would be a, a little bit too too much of an emotional right. moment for him. Uh, he would he would he would be remembering all that came before his you know his, his other you know the, the other uh, flora colossus that were that would be existing on Planet X. Sure, and uh, I think it'd just be too much for him. I, I don't know that he could get in. He just couldn't get in the, the headspace. The, he would become one with the Jenga game, right? <laughs> which just wouldn't work out well. Yeah. And so, uh, Black Panther—he's agile. He—he's gonna be able to find the right, you know, the right block to pull. So I think yeah. a, that's uh, a, Black, a compelling argument. Black you have
1: Panther, a, you, you can, have a counterpoint? Yeah, no. I think Black Panther never loses. I don't think Groot ever gets started. He's See, just he's just holding that one—that the first one—being like, "What does this mean?"
0: Now here's here's where I think uh, you could consider it this way: Groot, of course. I mean, he could contribute to an ever-expanding Jenga tower. Interesting. There's the chance that he just—he never lets that thing drop. He is the, he is the Jenga
1: tower, exactly, yeah. and he's—he's he's not going to fall over. So, I'll go Black Panther too. You're okay. Well, it's—it's it's two. Well, I, and then when you add Rocket on top of that, I think it's a done deal. Like I don't—I think. Well, Rocket's going to destroy it. Yeah, that I don't. There's think, no don't doubt think about
0: that. It. Yeah, Rocket, very long. He's not going to have patience for that. Yeah. No. No. You're
1: right. I, okay. Okay. You've convinced me.
0: It's, okay. it's Black Panther Woo. on this one. Let's spin this wheel one more time and uh, see where we go. Okay, Brian, our last mask-off challenge is this. It's Mr. Fantastic versus the Green Goblin, and they're both shipwrecked. Who survives longer?
1: Mm, Desert Island situation. Desert Island
0: situation, Mr. Fantastic versus Green Goblin, Norman Osborn. Who survives longer? Uh, Does the Green Goblin have his glider? It's a good contextual question. I'm going to say he does have his glider. Really? But I'm going to say it's depowered.
1: I think it's smashed up. You think that's how he got shipwrecked? I think the only thing he has is what was on the boat and the boat wasn't on the green bottom, but he has bits and pieces of the boat. Maybe he used it as a flotation device to get to the island.
2: There you go.
0: Not powered up, but it's available.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to take a page out of the uh, Elastigirl playbook on this one, and I'm going to say Mr. Fantastic, uh, he's a pretty, pretty smart dude. Yep. You know, uh, you, some you know, would say the,
0: the most brilliant man in the world.
2: He's right there. You know, he you know, Lunella Lafayette is technically the smartest person in the Marvel universe. Love it. I love that you cried. Um, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> but uh but Mr. Fantastic, he's right there, you know, Reed Richards. Uh, I love the Fantastic Four. Um so I'm gonna say he he fashions a uh, a pretty probably a a a fantastic boat, fantastic car made out of bamboo. Yeah, and coconuts as the sail. A la Elastigirl um, and is able to get right off that island and if probably off the island, probably off the planet, uh, knowing Reed Richards. Dare I and say, that's the perfect answer. Yeah. And
0: I am not pandering to our guest either, Aaron. A really? uh, a raft, a fantastic raft uh, with Reed Richards himself as the sail. That's a pretty darn good yeah. answer.
2: Fantastic raft. It, it's, if it hasn't been done in Marvel Comics yet, I'm going to call Dan Slott. That's and right. He goes, hey, buddy.
0: <laughs> that's right. I want to see a fantastic raft, uh, drawn, <laughs> uh, on your, on
2: your YouTube channel. dear Mr. Sobolski. have I got an idea <laughs> for you. Uh,
0: Brian, thank you so much for joining us tonight, uh, to celebrate our year anniversary. Uh, we've had such a great time talking with you. We have so many other things to talk with you about. Uh, of course, um, you know, we, we want to get into the Disney based Marvel books. Uh, we want to talk about the yeah. seekers of the weird and, uh, and, uh, big thunder Ouch. mountain. Uh, there's so many things to talk about. We're gonna have to to do that another time. Will you join us on the show again to talk about? Uh, oh my gosh, Marvel yeah. Kingdoms! I
2: would love to. Yeah, we'd love or to Disney, talk about that. Disney stuff.
0: Kingdoms. Excuse me, I said Dis- I said Marvel Kingdoms. Marvels That's Disney okay. Kingdoms.
2: Yes, no, I, I would love talking Disney Kingdoms. That was a that was a passion project, labor of love. So I'd love to come back and talk to you Yay. guys about that. Awesome. Talk about all the stuff we're doing at Marvel themed entertainment now. We did. We did lots of fun stuff in the past, and you know the future is bright. We're we're got shows opening up again, hopefully in the fall and uh, we're, we're doing new stuff. So I would love to come back and chat with you guys. Hey, yeah.
0: listen, maybe when uh, Black Widow uh, rolls out in the middle of the summer, it seems like a perfect time for you to come back on the show and we uh, we talk a little bit more about those things. That sounds awesome. Awesome. Happy to do it. Thanks Brian, so much, Brian. Thanks so much for it's your such time. A joy talking to you, man. Uh, it's, Thank it's you. Been, been
1: Happy anniversary. Oh,
0: Thank thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? <laughs> Alright. Alright, thanks so much. Uh, Aaron. Hey, hey. That is our brand new friend, Brian Crosby. I know, right? Uh, I am so thrilled that we got a chance to sit down with him. Uh, so happy to talk with someone that is uh, as steeped in Marvel as he is with Disney, has had experience on both of those things, and is like someone that I honestly feel like we could just go hang out with.
1: Yeah, I would, I mean, I, I would like to. I, I, it's so, it's so fun. Fun to me when we get to interview these people because uh, a lot of the time, especially with Brian, you get this feeling like, well, I mean, if somebody was going to be in charge of that this guy should be in charge yeah, of that. Yeah, I want like, it to be him. Yeah, why, you, why you do he want him? it to be yeah. him. Like it was, you know, off the off the podcast, we had lots of lots of more conversation, interaction, and it's like this guy, first, it's fun to listen to him correct you about Marvel yeah. stuff or whatnot. That's up, right, you know? that's right. I find that, uh, you know, personally fun for me, but also like this is, the guy's from the time that he was sort of born, this is the guy that was made to do this, and so it's so fun to see right. him doing it.
0: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And then selfishly, the next thought, like like you said, the first thought is like, of course he should be doing this. This is exactly, he should be the one that's in charge of coming up with how do you integrate Marvel characters into real life, into yeah. themed environments, yeah. right? And then selfishly, the next thought I have is,
1: and I would like to help him do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and hey, I got <laughs> I got some ideas. <laughs> I noticed there's no uh, uh, Marvel themed water slide in Disneyland Anaheim. That's right. What do we think?
0: Uh, we could make that. There's a Hydro Man villain. We could yep. easily make a Hydro exactly. Man slide, right? Right. Uh, yeah, it, it's just so much fun talking with him. And, and uh, you know, uh, Brian was so gracious with the time that he gave us. And there's so many things that we wanted to talk with him about yeah. that he was willing to talk with us about. Uh, but, but Brian, like us is a dad and he's got little kids to take care of. And so he's like, I, I got to run. I got to, I got to drop my kids off at baseball. Uh, can we do this again sometime? So I can't wait to have him come back and talk about his work on Disney kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, th- that comic book series that just takes inspiration from, you know, you have Marvel integrating into the parks, but what about the parks integrating into Marvel? I think that's going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to keep keep pop- talking with him about that and, and his work on, the Ant-Man and the Wasp attraction uh, over in, also in Hong Kong uh, that sits very, very close to the experience, the Iron Man experience that he worked on in Hong Kong Uh, and just, you know, where he has visions of Marvel going in the future.
1: I know a guy that uh, you know that gets up and and goes to a, a job making entertainment and joy uh, uh, for the world, and then comes home and shares that knowledge on a on a podcast free of charge. Just sits down, spends two hours of his time chatting with us, then goes and is is a is a, a dad and picks up his kid. Would you say Brian just might be a superhero himself? I feel
0: like I feel like he is a superhero, uh, and so again, it's it's even more fitting that um, that he's working. Uh, you know, for the house of the spider.
1: What a fun year, man. What a fun podcast. What a fun year. What, what I can't believe we're here and I can't believe uh, that that was an interview we got to do. I was delighted the whole time. Couldn't believe oh, who we were talking to. Uh, it has been a fantastic year. Uh, and thanks and, to you. Thanks uh, but, for you for making all that uh, happen. Uh,
0: you me me you every single week you bring this show every single week it is an absolute joy and treat for me to listen to it as a Yay. fan to hear how you put things together uh you know this this is has been the, the beginning of a beautiful partnership Yay, yeah yeah uh, and and i love the way that we have grown together as uh, as creative partners and as friends over the past year
1: and biologically how our hands are starting to fuse together and we're and so right we've grown together in every way possible
0: Right, exactly, and now, and now, uh, when people ask the question, uh, "Are those guys always together?" we can say it's impossible for them to not. We
1: can't. Be. We can't not be. We can so. We
0: can't. We'd like to. We just can't. Uh, well, thanks everybody
1: for listening. This
0: has been Bob's and Bantha's. We release every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd like to thank everybody who has been so supportive and gracious, kind and loving uh, over the past year with us doing this show. We love making this show. We sure hope you love. Li- we sure hope you love listening to it. Uh, if you would, we would love it if you left us a five star review over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can do that right in the app right now. If you want to, it really helps us uh, know what you like about the show, and it also helps other people find out. So, if you would be so kind as to pop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. You can visit us at banthas.com. You can email us, podcast at bobsesandbanthas.com. If you have a idea for a show that you'd like us to cover, or if you want to do a collaboration with us, podcast at bobsesandbanthas.com. You can wear us at TeePublic. We're Bobses and Banthas. You can support us on Patreon. We're patreon.com forward slash bobsesandbanthas. And most of all, we would love it if you joined us over on Instagram. We're at Banthas.
1: Until next week, He's been Aaron. Uh, number number two, Pencil Man. Number, no, number two is a terrible name for a superhero. No, nope, never man. call him number two. <laughs> pencil Man to the rescue. Ticonderoga Man. Yes, perfect. And I've been
0: Scott, the man who never sleeps. Not me, Brian Crosby. Oh, yeah. And we've been Bob Cousin Banthas. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.
2: Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom Disneyland is growing every day. This Saturday